I'm not necessarily going to talk about hand raising this morning, but I am going to talk about worship. It is a seven-letter word that has a massive amount of meaning. And typically when we think of worship, nine times out of ten, what, it is, what is it that we think of? Singing. We think singing, music, hand raising, hallelujah, blessed be his name, which isn't wrong. That is part of what worship is, but it's not all that worship is or all that it can be. Now, you can look this word up in multiple different sources. You can go to the dictionary. You can go to Google. You can look it up in commentaries. I looked it up in seven, seven different sources, and all of them had essentially the same definition, which was this idea of praise or adoration towards a deity, towards a god. Now, if you had asked me as a kid what my definition of worship was, it would not have been that. I grew up, this is the church I grew up going to, Little United Methodist Church, 40, 50 people, 50 people on a really good Sunday. We had the organ, we had the piano, we had the bulletin, we had a choir, we knew when to stand, when to sit. And if you had asked me at that point in my life what worship was, I would have said it starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday. My idea of worship was an hour long. That's what I thought it was. And it wasn't until I went off to university and I took some courses in worship, which again, doesn't make me an expert, I began to realize how small my world was, how small my view of who God was and what worship is and my relationship with Jesus. It was so tiny. And I think worship is one of those things that we, we don't always, like we don't have it figured out. We think we have an idea of what it is, but there's still kind of some gray area, some fuzziness to it. And so I'm hoping to shed just a little bit of clarity Uh, 20, 30 minutes is not nearly enough time to even touch the surface of what worship is. But I know some of what I say this morning might not make us best friends when I'm done, which I'm more than okay with. And because of that, I want to pray. God, you are a miracle worker and a wonder maker. And I pray this morning that we are led and ushered into your presence. I pray that this morning is about you first and only. And I pray that when we leave today, we leave worshiping because you are worthy of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to talk about a man named Moses this morning. And you might be wondering, all right, weren't we going to talk about worship? Yes, and I will connect the dots, I promise. We've actually been in a teaching series on Moses within the kids' worship for the past, I think, five or six weeks, something like that. And I've got to teach back there a couple of times. And uh, I taught back there last week, and I shared a clip from, is that me? Sorry, guys. I shared a clip from the movie The Prince of Egypt, which is a DreamWorks film on the storyline of Moses. And I was playing the clip where Moses is parting the water. God used Moses to part the Red Sea, and they were walking across it. And there was this kid uh, back there that was sitting Indian style. He had his hands like this. And as the water got higher, his eyes grew wider. And when the clip was done, I sat down and I was like, so what did you guys think of that? And this kid was like, wow, so that's who God is. And then this other kid was like, oh my goodness, God is so cool. And I was like, you are right, God is so cool. And when you read the story of Moses, I can't help but say wow or God is so cool because God shows up over and over again performing miracles and wonders and it's amazing. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of Moses, let me catch you up a little bit. Moses was born during a time that Pharaoh wanted all the Israelite babies to be killed. Moses' mom wanted to save him. So she puts him in a papyrus basket, floats him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter ends up finding Moses. They adopt him, and Moses ends up growing up in the home of the man who wanted him dead. Wow. 
So Moses becomes a prince of Egypt. And one day as he's walking around the palace, he sees that some Israelites, which were slaves in Egypt, were not being treated well. Moses has a little bit of an anger issue. And this is the first time that we see that. Moses gets so angry at this man who's beating this slave that he kills the man who is beating the slave. Word gets out about what has happened. Moses is like, oh no, I've got to get out of here because they're going to be after me. So Moses flees. He ends up in a town of Midian and there he meets Jethro. Jethro was a shepherd and ends up becoming Moses' father-in-law. And so Moses is a prince of Egypt, and then all of a sudden he's a shepherd. And one day while he was out tending the sheep, he had an encounter with God. He met God through a burning bush, a bush that was burning, but it really wasn't burning. Wow, God is the coolest. And it was then that God said to Moses, by the way, Moses was 80 years old at this point. Moses was 80 when God told him to go back to Egypt. So those of you who are within that generation, God can still call you to do things. Side rant. Anyway, Moses encounters God. God says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. Moses immediately is making excuses. Like, don't you know who I am? I'm not the greatest speaker and I can't do that. They're going to kill me. And God is like, no, I am the God of Israel, Isaac, and Jacob. I will go with you. Go. And there in that moment, Moses takes off his shoes, and he realizes he's standing on holy ground. And he goes, wow. So that's who God is. And Moses goes. He goes to Egypt, and with the help of God, he helps free the Israelites. They escape. They end up by the Red Sea. God uses Moses to part the waters. They make it across. You think life would be fine and dandy now that they've escaped from the Egyptians, but life wasn't that easy. They actually ended up living in the wilderness for 40 years. And I would probably do what the Israelites did. They complained. There was never enough food. There was never enough water. They didn't understand what, was God, what God was doing. They should just go back to Egypt because at least they knew what to expect there and it would have been so much easier. And then if you turn to Exodus 32, I don't have this on the screen, so you can just follow along in the story, but if you want to, you can turn there. We get to the part of the story where Moses tells the Israelites, I'm going to go up on Mount Sinai, and I'm going to talk with the Lord. I will be back in 40 days. It gets to day 40, and the Israelites are impatient, just because Moses wasn't there at 9 in the morning. And they decide to take things in their own hands. This is what happens. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron who Aaron was Moses' brother and kind of the second in command leader. They get together to Aaron and they said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. And I shared this first service, but I always have a full house moment there. I'm like, how rude. Because they just walk up to Aaron. They're like, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 
So this is what's happening down below. And the Lord is on Mount Sinai, and he's having a conversation with Moses. But even though he was up here, he saw what was happening down here. And he says, hey, Moses, this is what's happening. And I love this, how they interact with each other. The Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Parents, have you ever had moments where your son or your daughter are acting anything but good, and you say to your spouse or to the other parent, go deal with your son. Go talk to your daughter. When I read this, I envision that that's kind of, I mean, that's my own spin on it. But you get down to verse 11, and Moses says back to God, Oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? I love that Moses is quick to give the people back to God. He knows who God is. You continue reading the story, you find out that God is, he's very upset. He's upset to the point that he says to Moses, I'll destroy these people and I'll make a new people to you. I don't have time to flesh out God's attributes within that time. Uh, don't, so don't get caught up in the midst of all of that. Moses says, Lord, let, like, let me talk to them. Moses wants to intercede for the Israelites. And here's why I think he does. Because he has seen who God is. The Israelites have too, but Moses has met with God. And he's had those moments where he stepped back and he goes, wow. So that's who God is. And I think that's why he's interceding for the Israelites. He wants them to know the God that he knows. He wants them to say, wow. So that's who God is. And I, th I think personally that's why he intercedes so much for them. So, Mo so God says, all right, you go talk to them. Moses goes down, and it's interesting because God told, told Moses what they had done. He said they built a golden calf. And it wasn't until Moses saw the golden calf that he became upset. Remember, he's got a little bit of a temper. He took the, the stone tablets, he was getting the Ten Commandments, and he took those and he smashed them. And he walks up to Aaron and he's like, what is this? Like, what is this that you all have done to cause this sin upon you? This is what Aaron says back to Moses. Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came a calf. <laughs> Notice how Aaron quotes word for word what the Israelites said to him, but when it came to what he had done, he twisted a little bit. He's like, well, Moses, you know these people. You know that they're not the most well-behaved. You know that they're, they're more inclined to do bad things. And they, they were just impatient. They came up to me, and I just took their gold, and I threw it in the fire, and bam, genie, out came a golden calf. Aaron. You know, there's a lot of tidbits I think we can take from this story, but I can't get past the golden calf. I mean, the Israelites had seen God at work. They watched the Red Sea part. They ate manna that fell from the sky. They drank water that flowed out from a rock. They had even heard God say, do not make images and worship them. And yet, when they were challenged to wait or challenged with preferences that weren't exactly their own, they missed it. They missed out on what God was doing, and they lost sight of who he was and what he could do. After all that they had been through, why a golden calf? That's what they had lived with. 
For 200 years, the Israelites had been slaves to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were well known for their idol worship and for creating these different images, and they would bow down and worship them. I don't, I don't have a list of all of the gods that they worshipped. But I do have a picture here that I actually borrowed from Pastor Ryan from one of his trips. They would make altars. And here is actually an image of what maybe the golden calf would have looked like. This is an Egyptian golden calf. When the Israelites were faced with a, hey, we don't know what the future is going to hold, and we don't like it. We don't like not knowing. They went back to what they had always known. Not that it was better, but at least they knew what to expect there. And how often do we do that? Do we get to a point in our lives where, like, we don't know what the future is going to hold, and we, we just go right back to the past because it's, it's almost easier than not knowing. So I'm not excusing what the Israelites did, but I am understanding But in the midst of all of that, the Israelites missed out on what God was doing. They missed out on it because they were so concerned about themselves and what they wanted. And they needed pleasure within that moment because they didn't know where Moses was. I wonder how many Mount Sinai moments we miss because we're so busy and concerned with ourselves and doing things the way we want them to be done. You know, if you keep reading, you read that um, Moses' anger got the better of him again because the Israelites were never um, pleased. Nothing ever suited them, and they were complaining again. They, and, and so God said, all right, Moses, do this. And Moses did what God had asked him to do. God said, speak to this, and I will provide. Moses did, but then he took the staff that God had given him, and he hit the rock twice. <laughs> Remember that God had given the staff to Moses to do God's wonders, not his own works. And I think that's where Moses really messed up in that moment. And because of that, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. He had spent years and years guiding these people to what was supposed to be the promised land, a place of freedom, a place where they could dwell with God. And because Moses in that moment took something and was like, yeah, God, that's great, but that's not quite good enough, he missed out. I wonder how many promised land moments we miss because we have to spin things and make things about ourselves, kind of like Aaron did. I don't know, I just threw this stuff in the fire and like out came a golden calf. I wonder how many things we miss because we're asking the wrong questions or we're concerned about things that don't even matter. I wonder if we miss things because we're too busy complaining about our preference of music or the wall colors or the clothing or people that are different than us. And even this morning, some of you haven't heard half of what I've said because I'm wearing a hat. You know, we as a team have talked about things that distract us from who God is and what he can do. And actually, one of the discussions we've had is something which might seem silly, but like a hat. Can you wear a hat in worship? Like, is that biblical? Is that sinful? I don't know. And I remember saying to the team, I will never wear a hat in worship service. Not because I thought it was bad or sinful or, you know, whatever. I just didn't grow up with that. I didn't grow up where you could wear a hat or even wear jeans, and I'm wearing both this morning. And I was, thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about this conversation that we had had with the team as I was praying through this message over the weekend and really felt like the Lord was saying, you have to wear a hat on Sunday. 
And like Moses, I had like, what? No, like you, God, don't you know? And he was like, you're making this about yourself. Why wouldn't you? Because you think people might look at you in a weird way or ask you to take it off? And very clearly he said to me, Patricia, my holiness is not hindered by a hat. And how dare you let something as silly as a hat hinder you from worshiping me? That was a wow moment for me over the weekend. And I'm willing to wear a hat. I'm willing to set my preferences aside if it means I'm going to meet with God. And we have to be willing to set our preferences aside to meet with God. You know, I relate to Moses in the extent of always needing to make excuses. I'm really good at that. And I relate to the Israelites in the extent of always complaining. I ask the question, God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. I don't like waiting because waiting is hard. But God's timing is perfect, so we have to learn to wait. And we have to learn to ask the right questions. Instead of asking the question, God, what are you doing? Come on, like answer me, do this right now. We have to ask the question like this. God, what are you doing? Because whatever it is that you are doing, whether I can see it here or whether it's on Mount Sinai, I want to be a part. I want to follow you to the point that I am consistently living my life saying, so that's who God is. And I'm afraid that when we focus on the wrong things or we ask the wrong questions or we're focused on ourselves, we can't say that. And we have to learn how to say, wow, so that's who God is. Because that's what worship is. Worship is when you see who God is and you say, wow, that's who God is. Worship is when you see who God is and you see what he's done in your life or done in the lives around you and you can step back and you can say, wow, that's who God is. And you can say that in more than just an hour on Sunday. And you can say that in more ways than just through song. You can say it at work, you can say it at home, you can say it in the river, you can say it in your car, wherever. Worship is when you Recognize that God is greater than you. And you step back. You take your shoes off. And you say, all right, God, you are the God of Israel. And I will follow you. I'm willing to wait. You know, I wonder what would have happened if the Israelites were willing to wait just a couple more hours. You know, like, it was day 40. Moses wasn't back yet, but the day wasn't over. What would have happened if they had waited? I wonder. Worship has to be about Jesus. We can't get so wrapped up in the right or wrongs. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. There has to be a dying to self. Because it's not about what's right or wrong or good or bad. It's about the God who is good. And whether it's here or outside, it doesn't matter because it's not about where you are. It's about who you are with. Now, I believe that God wants us to give him our best. I'm not saying that. You read throughout scriptures time and time again. God wants us to give him our best 
And that best is when we give him our hearts 100%. Christ has to be bigger in us. It cannot be about us. And if, if Jesus isn't the focus, then I think we might need to step back and reevaluate if we're spending more time with a golden calf than we are with him. You know, the issue with the golden calf was you remember that after Aaron had made it, he said, now I proclaim that tomorrow is going to be a feast to the Lord. I don't think the issue was them saying like, no God, forget about God. The issue was they were trying to combine themselves in worldly things and mesh that with who God was and that just doesn't work. It doesn't. Worship is not about us. And I think when we realize that, we'll be able to live out our mission so much more. We'll be able to live like Jesus and love a whole lot more deeper. But you have to be willing to expand your little worlds and your little concept of who God is and worship. We're going to sing the song, Heart of Worship. And I want you to feel free to sit or stand, pull a Mufasa. I don't care. But I really want you to pray through these lyrics, pray through your relationship with Jesus. And if there are things that you need to give to God and say, yes, I've been focused on that and I forgot what you're doing up here, do that. I'm still processing through things. That's why I'm wearing a hat this morning. <laughs> so I'm going to sit down there and I'm going to do the same. Ask God what he is doing, not what you want him to be doing. I hope you've been encouraged this morning. And I hope God has spoken to you in a powerful way in your heart and in your spirit. I often think sometimes that we put God in a box. We're really good to put God in the box of our preferences. The way we think God ought to answer our prayers, the way we think people ought to dress and look like on Sunday morning, we tend to put them in a box. And I love the fact that we can have a female speaker come on stage wearing a hat and deliver God's word to you. place I'm not going to name where and I don't like telling people that I'm a pastor because as soon as you let people know who what you do for a living they change their tone and attitude with you and then they tell you where they go to church and it's like I never asked you that but their quote to me was you don't look like a pastor that's what I said look like it's like you're just young you got this weird haircut you're in jeans and a t-shirt so God's not hindered by what I look like and what I wear to church on Sunday morning last time I looked at the Bible when Jesus took his last breath on the cross the veil that kept God's presence in the temple was torn meaning God's presence is everywhere now the veil's gone. 
It doesn't matter what you look like, what you wear to church. What matters is our heart to worship who Jesus Christ is. You can wear jeans, you can dress up, you can do whatever. It's your heart when you enter spaces like this on Sunday mornings. That's what matters. I'm reminded by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 5. He's talking about Jesus, and he says this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And that's what we're going to celebrate right now as a church family together. Every couple months, we come together and we celebrate what's known in church world as communion. It's a way to remember God's sacrifice on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. That we can enter into a relationship with our heavenly father through Jesus. And Jesus was in the upper room with his young disciples, last meal, and he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and told his disciples to eat and do this in remembrance of him. And he took the wine, and as he took the wine, he said, this is my blood. It's shed for you. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. This morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to partake in communion together. The only stipulation we have here at Radiant Life to take communion, the Lord's Supper, is that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member. Are you a follower of Jesus? And the table's open for you. The team's going to play softly behind us all, and we're going to move in a minute. There's three stations, one on each side of the stage and one in the back for you. They're gluten-free wafers, so you gluten-free people, it's all gluten-free, all right? You non-gluten-free people, you can't tell it's gluten-free. And then up here, we're going to open up the front of our stage as the altar. And there's three spots up here if you just need to get your heart right with God. Up here, the communion style is what's known as intinction, where you take the wafer and you dip it into the juice and take communion that way. So three different, the normal way, if you will, with cups and wafers, the three. And if you just want to pour your heart out and take communion here at the altar, you can do so as well. But I say this every time we take communion, don't move with the masses move when your heart is right with God to take communion. So let's move together. At this time, the ushers can come forward. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it because it's all about you. Worship isn't a hat thing. It's a heart thing. And that's in whatever element of worship it is, whether it's through song, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through offering, it's all about the heart. So I pray this morning that's what you get from this time as well. If you're new here, you can sit on your wallets. Don't feel like you need to give. But for those of you who continue to come back and continue to give, we've been able to have a lot of, wow, God, you're awesome moments because of your giving. So I thank you for that. Let me pray. 
Hey, God, you are in this place. And we thank you for being, being the God who, who dwells among us. And we thank you for showing up time and time again. I pray that you would bless the gift and the giver and that you would continue to show us who you are so we can continue to step back and say, wow. Help us to further your kingdom in your name because it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. When the offering plate passes by you, feel free to worship again. You can sit, you can stand. We're gonna sing the song first and only again. And I pray that Jesus is first and only in our lives always.